Hey everyone, my name's Kyle. I surf, I make movies, and I love asking questions. These are conversations with fascinating people I meet around the world. I hope that you are having a happy holiday from wherever you are listening in from, whether you're on YouTube, uh, Apple's podcast app, or Stitcher. I hope that you are in a good spot in your life. Hope you're feeling grateful. Got a lot to be grateful for, don't we? And woo-wee, do we have a podcast for you today. This episode is with Andy Hardy. Andy is an emergency trauma nurse at Santa Clara Valley Medical, and he was a medic on the ground for the Standing Rock movement. Uh, Like many of you, I watched the Facebook videos about the North Dakota Access Pipeline, but wanted to know more. I wanted to know what it was like to actually go out there and be on the ground. So these are stories from Andy treating people in 20 below weather, tear gas masks, bulletproof vests, and the rest. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Andy Hardy. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. So what was the moment that uh, got you to decide to go out there? I think uh, I had been just uh, hearing about, you know, all the, you know, atrocities with the the military police and the privatized police and the being sprayed with water cannons and, you know, peaceful protests going on and police dogs coming in and pulling people out of sweat lodges and just was kind of, I don't know, it hit me. Yeah, inside and kind of had this like self you know drive to like oh man I'd really like to go up there and help and uh but I'm not you know necessarily a professional activist or someone who just takes off on you know and goes to help out in those situations yeah I mean before we really get into it give, yeah. give me um a background into your day-to-day of who you are and what you do here in Santa Cruz um as far as work goes I, I work over at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center in the emergency department uh been over there for like 14 years always uh have a family young three young children wife you know lots of things going on in life that logistically I uh, could have easily said no to right. Know, going no, to do no it's a big deal. You're not you're not the wanderlust traveler who can pick up on a whim and, and exactly. make it happen, which right. is why I think it's really interesting that, that you went out there. Definitely. So you're motivated um, by some of the media that you some saw of the media, out. and then and then I heard about this, you know, veterans movement, veterans stand for Standing Rock, and saw some of the interviews from some of these veterans that have fought and. Vietnam and Afghanistan and Iraq and how that really had no meaning to them and here was this opportunity in their first time in their life to kind of be on their own home soil and and help these natives you know with this protest and kind of relieve the front line and and how it was just inspiring and what it meant to them and that definitely inspired me yeah so so I'm guessing that when you um initially took the flight over there it would be impossible for you to be completely educated on the whole situation you did as i'm sure as much diligent research as you could but i'm guessing you were learning as you were going right learning and still learning because it it was literally at the most 
when this choice was made, it was one of my coworkers who actually contacted the veterans group who went along with me, um, Albert DeGaglia. And just one day randomly, we had talked about the situation, but random at work, he was like, hey, I contacted the vet group. They need medics. Do you want to go? And I and I knew right then, I'm, you know, of course I want to go. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know. And there's so much misinformation coming out of there. Um, yes, I didn't know a lot of information at all. So as, as I prepared to be there for myself and being prepared and then started a fundraiser and raised gear to bring, you know, I wanted to show up there, you know, in a giving way and prepared. And that was, you know, occupied a ton of time and then trying to hold down a, a home with young kids and, and, you know, do all that too. So it was, uh, yeah. It what, was, what were some of the things that you were fundraising for to bring out there? Um, I mainly, uh, we, we started a GoFundMe um, that got a great response. We raised like in a week over $10,000, which I was blown away by. Um, and mainly um, I wanted to sh- show up there, you know, with, I knew the weather was going to be cold. Um, so cold weather gear, supplies. Um, and I wanted um, to be able to um, have, you know, a pocket full of cash to, to give people money on the spot too. I like kind of being in there on that ground level and, Oh, you're, you run out of salt for the road. Boom. Here you go. Here's some money for that. And also the the other issue was bail money for people. Like at that point, you know, in our packing list was bring $1,600 cash to potentially bail out of jail, which had been going on. Um, and like I said, the rumors and the misinformation coming out of there is just, you know, it's, it's huge. So you can never really. Yeah. Like what, like what kind of misinformation were you seeing? Um, well they had the main road 1806 down from Bismarck is the road that they have closed off on the bridge right by the Ochetti camp. So you have to go around down this, um, highway six and there were things coming out, you know, just saying that the police were pulling people over, um, that were trying to resupply camp and ticketing people a thousand dollars, you know, because of the, a lot of times in those northern states when there's a blizzard or something, the governor will announce, you know, nobody allowed on the road. So they were kind of using that as an excuse. I didn't see any of that. I didn't hear any more about that. Potentially it was in people's reality. But so, you know, just preparing for the worst. Yeah. Um, and for people who don't know the, the situation of, and have only seen the, the Facebook videos, what is your um, analysis of the situation um, from your experience and, and up until now? Yeah. Um, like what's happening on, on the most basic level? Yeah. So it's from my experience of being up there, um, you know, I got I got to see um, and hear the Standing Rock Sioux, you know, who are the main tribe um, in this protest and just clearly a peaceful protest, like hands down. Um, and within the camp, you know, there are other groups of natives and there are other group of pe- groups of people that are not peaceful protesters. So you could feel, you could definitely feel, um, you know, the indifferences between them. Right. Um, since then, uh, specifically one of the groups who I, I think probably does great work, the red, the group called the red warriors, but they're more warriors. They're more like, you know, it's, in it's your in face. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, obviously being there only for five days, I didn't get too involved in the politics, but you could, you could feel, you know, that the Standing Standing Rock, you know, tribe was not wanting 
actual you know interactions with the police and 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 wanted more of a peaceful protest so that since then they they have left camp the red warriors um and and on, on even like the more of a ten thousand foot view what is happening with the pipeline yeah so the pipeline has come you know originally was supposed to go you know from the fracking fields in north dakota down to illinois and it was going to run through, I believe, a little bit north of Bismarck. And that's when the people of Bismarck, who are mainly Caucasian, um, you know, said, no, we don't want this going through our land here. And that's when the choice was made to divert it. Um, I'm still learning about all the history even of that process. But then it was diverted. And now they've, um, you know, come to a point uh, along the Missouri River and the lake that they're on either side of it and they're trying to go under the lake. You know, and this is a 30-inch pipeline. I think it's one of the bigger um, oil pipelines ever built in this country. Um, and that that water source really is the main water source for millions and millions of people south of that, you know, along the, the Sioux Reservation there. So that's... How big is the Sioux Reservation? That I'm still learning. Okay. Like, it goes, it runs down, like, the, where this Achete camp is, is the northern border of that, and it runs all the way down into South Dakota um, with different, you know, you have the Standing Rock Sioux, and I'm in touch with a woman who's in the Cheyenne Sioux, and there's m tribes throughout that whole, you know, they're all Sioux, but they all have their different tribes and politics, and I think they come together for, you know, different different events yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you showed up there, and was there, um, like, between the, the people from Bismarck, is that what you said? Yeah. So if, for the people from Bismarck, was there uh, a lot of contentious energy from them and with the protesters? There definitely has been. Nothing that I firsthand experienced, but since then have seen some videos come out of, like, mass men, like, harassing protesters. And, um, you know, there was some, you had, I had heard of some hardware stores, like Ace Hardware up there was not selling supplies. Um, you know, all in all, I had a fine experience. I made multiple trips up to Bismarck to resupply, um, at different sporting goods stores. And, you know, they would limit the amount of propane. They might sell you the little green propane bottles or something like that. But, yeah. um, I think it was just to be able to disperse it. So someone didn't buy, you know, a bunch of them, but, um, you know, but I was there during pretty much a blizzard, you know, and, how far is it from Bismarck to the protest site? And how far from there is it to the front lines of where um, they're trying to drill? Uh, Bismarck to the protest site um, on when we first drove down there on Clara Roads. It's about it's about 50 minutes or so. Okay. Um, and then on multiple drives that I had up there in whiteout conditions took me over two hours, you know. You're going just, slow. Yeah, yeah. You just cannot see more than five feet in front of you. So, so was it a blizzard when you first got into town? No, when we first got into town, it was about 24 degrees, um, you know, which becomes warm really fast. And, uh, and uh, yeah, popping not... Out, popping out the sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. A mile uh, 24 degrees. Just a mile 24. Coming from, coming from Santa Cruz, California. But I knew that it was going to, you know, the weather obviously was turning fast it was going to cool down um and yeah we we got we actually got to the airport um and uh we were at, at the stores when we heard the announcement i talked to a vet that i was going to maybe bring down there and that's when the feds announced 
that they were going to, you know, halt the drilling and require the environmental impact study. And so before this, there was no environmental impact study. Nothing I've required. Yeah. They, I, 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 I believe they just started going on the pipeline and plowing through sacred grounds. And there's, you know, these, these treaties from the 1800s that, you know, that's what's being questioned of whether this is federal land or whether this is treaty land and whether it was leased to the feds from, you know, so that, that's all, you know, I'm still studying that and trying to understand exactly. But there's a, there's a big history within this country of broken treaties between Native Americans. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so you rock up and describe the first few hours and just kind of bring me into that situation. Yeah. So any, the communications that I had had with the main medical uh, veteran were, uh, they were spotty. Like, you know, there, it was enough that I trusted that I was going into something and I was going to be a part of, because they had a roster of 2000 people and they were getting, you know, amazing response, um, but they couldn't support more than that. Um, so I tried staying in communication the best I could and would occasionally get stuff back, but was enough that I had the, you know, I knew I was going. So we, we got there, got our vehicle, you know, got a bunch of supplies and food. You know, I really, really care about, like I said, being, uh, you know, self-sufficient and not, you know, showing up there like take 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 yeah what so Um, what were some of the major supplies that you brought uh we got you know we got a lot of food we brought a um bunch of cold weather patagonia gear they were amazing um with with helping out with that um just you know hats gloves you know battery packs for mobile you know phones the you know the burly battery packs you know uh, jump starters for vehicles um you know, just a just a lot of supplies like that, um, and this was on your own um, thinking to bring this kind of stuff. There's no like, burn, yeah, Burning Man survival kit. To no, no, th- no. There wasn't. There was a packing list for the vets that you know included, obviously, cold weather gear and tear gas masks and bulletproof vests and you know that type of stuff that we had brought also. But this was you know just. Hey, let's show up and 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 with cold weather supplies. I knew I have access to it. I, we had raised that money, like I wanted to. I also consulted. Um, there's a woman I grew up with, um, who's a professor of Native American studies at UCLA, and I just was writing to her and just like, how can I show up out of respect? I didn't want to be like, hey, there's this big white dude here to save the day, you know. Right. And so she had she you know said bring loose leaf tobacco for the elders you can wrap it in red cloth and you know just as a sign of respect or bring uh you know she's brings flat cedar kind of smudge sticks um you know if you see some woman in a tent you know cooking for the community or whatever you know that's a good way to show respect and then for the kids which i loved was bring flaming cheetos bags of flaming cheetos so we rolled in with bags of flaming cheetos for the kiddos too which they loved awesome (laughs) awesome um, so you showed up and, uh, were you like assigned to a certain area or what, what happened from there? Yeah. So we showed up, it was getting dark. Like I said, celebrations, you could hear this beautiful, you know, chanting and singing and people hooting and hollering and even fireworks started going off. And then, uh, I drove into camp and asked at the front gate, like, do you know where the vet med tent is? And nope, don't know. And like, okay. And then 
you know, pulled up to somebody else along the main flag road. Hey, do you know where the vets are? No, no idea. You know, and then within, and then I went, I found the main medical area and, hey, do you know where the vet med tent is? No, we don't know. So I realized like fast, like, whoa, this is potentially not that organized if people don't, you know, know even where this huge movement of thousands of vets are being based out of at camp. Um, so just kept asking around and finally found a, the area where they were at. And um, so headed over there and uh, saw the, you know, sign saying vet, vet med, you know, vet check-in, went into there and it was just chaos. Like the women at the front were just overwhelmed, didn't know who the head medic was. The person that I had been in touch with, they said, wasn't even showing up. Um, so it was definitely like, for me, like, whoa, I need to go into like, I need to connect with people fast mode. I knew the weather was coming in. It was dark. We did have a four season tent that we could have set up, but, um, I would, you know, I was wanting to connect with the group that we had gone there for. Um, there was a fire in the next area over a big, probably, you know, 12 feet long, four feet wide rectangular pit fire with big huge cauldron cooking something the big paddle um, that they were using to mix and so we we made our way over that to that and uh it ended up being um there's you know a pretty well-known indian called sitting bull and it was his family were they were making dinner for the vets arriving and so we just started talking asking around there i met this guy the first guy i met was this guy we call him mississippi i actually don't even know what his real name is but you know, great Southern accent voice, and I talking to him, and he uh, he actually was a civilian also, and he drove up. He's a farmer down in Mississippi. He drove up like six, seven thousand pounds of food, trailered up to for the vets, you know, because he also was inspired. Um, so we just got talking to him. I said, "Who's in charge of this area, this tent?" Uh, he directed me. He's like, "You got to find Roger." I'm like, okay, looking for Roger. It's dark now. Are you Roger? Yeah, you exactly. Roger? Seriously. You... So walking around, Roger, Roger. And finally, I find Roger out on the backside of the tent. And I introduce myself. Hey, Roger. You know, man. And the first thing I get is, grab the bags now. Get the bag. We're going to bring them in void. And I was like, okie dokie. Um, so Roger was kind of in charge of that tent, but very uh, stereotypical you know, what you might imagine the military to be as far as barking orders. And, um, so I just, we went along with it. Um, and we were, they were kind of, yeah, it was chaos at that yeah, point. I didn't know what was totally. going on. And, yeah. and, and I can imagine that when you have that much influx of people, right. it's a logistical nightmare. So you have to be, it turns into a military situation where yeah. you have to be boom, boom, boom. We're going to organize this. Or, yeah, totally. You needed, they, I mean, you needed leaders, yeah. but, I don't know that, you know, that you sure, needed that. Sure. Uh -huh. so, so where did you go from there? <laughs> so then I, so then we just, you know, I just am trying to help out around there, what needs to be done and finally find, you know, who the head medic supposedly is. And it's this guy, Josh. Um, and they have a little, you know, they had a land cruiser with a red cross on it and a trailer set up. So I go introduce myself to him and this guy, Matt. And that's when I was like, okay, I found like, okay, this is my guy, you know, like I need to connect with this guy. And, uh, so there was just no time to like learn why we were in this situation or what was going on. Like, um, so since then, you know, I've 
found out things just we've had conversations with oh that's why it was chaos and uh i can share those at the end anyway so sure. we're so we're in it um there you know it's we're plan the plan is is once sitting bulls family is done cooking we're gonna clean that uh, clean them out of the tent and we're gonna make that into a sleeping tent for the night which we were involved with so i felt good about okay we got a place to sleep um that the food was still going on so i i also really wanted to like experience the ritual up there and the ceremony so uh, my friend albert and i geared up and walked up to the sacred fire and just kind of got a sense of camp a little bit i mean it's sprawled out there's there's not like oh hey here's our map and there's a3 over there and section d you know so we just uh, went up and sacred circle and just kind of walked not even around the perimeter, but through camp a little bit just to get an idea. People standing around a fire. Yeah, hundreds of people standing around a fire and beautiful, you know, um, and I have some sound of that, you know, just the chanting and celebration. And um, and then just... What that, would that feel like? That was magical. I always love the just pulsing, just, you know, drum beats and just the, you know, wild, you know, kind of screeching chanting. And it was, you know, like I said, there was definitely like celebration going on. And on top of that was the major skepticism of like, okay, yes, they have announced this, but is it actually going to be true? Are they actually going to stop the drill? Right. And, you know, well, it must have been gonna... a really weird energy coming to camp the day that then Obama said, well, all right, we're going to at least do an, an environmental impact study. So people are like, well, do we need to be here now right. or what's yeah. going to happen? There's a big storm coming in, but... Yeah, it definitely was for right. Yeah, for me, for me, when I the first, and I still have an intuitive sense that I can't deny, but it, it felt like, hey, there's this big strong movement happening with these veterans, like, and to be announced that day when they showed up, felt like they were trying to deflate it, um, you know. So yeah, people came from 50 states. Some people walked 800 miles from Oklahoma to get there. You know, and just really inspiring, and to show up and be like, you know, to be like, yeah, we made a difference, but we also are here to kind of take over this front line and, you know, to let these yeah. this other side know that you know it is not okay to be doing this to to people. Um, so yeah, that's still that's still like a. Yeah, well, you'll never know yeah, what, exactly. where that motivation came from. Right. Um, so then went to sleep. Yeah. So yeah. So did did our walk around camp, made our way back, um, helped set up that tent, um, and we had one kind of small fireplace that was going. Managed to somebody managed to come up with a you know like a there was a big pro tall propane tank left with a big kind of burner propane burners that we got lit up and luckily the airflow through the tent was leaky enough because we probably all would have asphyxiated with this thing but that was what was really kicking off the heat in the tent okay so yeah. you had you had this thing going inside the tent yeah inside the tent open flame you know so so we had a um anyway so i i fade off to sleep uh, my buddy albert um you know ended up having some you know, needing to go to the rest to the Porta Johns at night, which, you know, were just already a mess. Like the camp had forty five hundred people previous to this. We we're probably pushing over ten thousand now. There was no increase in infrastructure of more Porta Johns or anything. And so these Porta Johns were maxed out in their capacity. Disgusting. And so he's up in the middle of the night needing to go to the Porta John. 
comes back. There was someone on fire watch. They said, okay, it's your turn. So he's sitting by the fire and slowly that, that propane just dwindled out maybe two in the morning or something. Stoves out also. So it starts cooling down quick. It's probably, you know, at this point, maybe 12, 15 degrees outside and he couldn't find a lighter. He couldn't get this thing lit. So I woke up maybe four in the morning. I was cozy with my good gear, but realized like, whoa, it's cold in here. Um, yeah. So then we got up and troubleshot, figured out how to get, we had, we couldn't have no access. Nobody had a lighter, but I was like, oh, the, the fire from outside last night will still have coals in it for sure. Someone went out, got coals into the fireplace, got that going a little bit heated up. Um, woke up the woke up at about six in the morning and um it was quiet around there still so we uh i walked up to the, there was a um a woman's march at the sacred at the sacred fire that started there um so i went up to that ceremony which was great and and it and, and it involves you know chanting and they had some water i believe that came from uh some natives from Arizona and they, you know, pass it out into copper cups or in your, in your hand, if, if you don't have a cup and then everybody marches down to the cannonball river. And then the men w from the river lined up, made two lines on either side. And the woman kind of marched down in between the men and do a you know, a little ceremony with tobacco on the river, um, just giving thanks to the water and stuff. So that was, that was really neat. Another, you know, those were the only two actual, you know, rituals that I was able to take part in. Um, went back to camp. Um, there was supposed to be a, like a ceremony with the vets um, and, and the, and the Sioux and kind of this cleansing of your sins and stuff. And that, that just kept going back and forth. Yeah, it's back at the casino, which is, you know, 10 or 15 miles away. No, it's going to be here. And the, the miscommunication, the communications were just horrible. Um, so nothing ended up happening with the people at camp that I'm aware of. And then it was a, there was a choice made that they were going to still march to the front line at 1 o'clock. So. so all the vets are coming in. The, the same day that you came in, all the vets are coming yeah, in? Yeah, there have been some vets there the day before also. Um, and I believe on the, the day before, the Wesley Clark Jr. Um, and Michael Wood, they actually had a meeting up on the bridge. Because next to the Chetty camp... 1806 that highway runs right along there and then within 200 yards away is the bridge where you've seen any footage of them spraying the water cannons and that's where they the barriers are and they've closed off on the other side of that is a kind of a hill to the right is um i believe they call it turtle island and then there's all these just bright fluorescent lights kind of shining back across and um yeah so they um were, were all the vets coming in individually or were they coming in every buses? Yeah, every what? way. They've ch they chartered buses from around the country. So they were coming in in buses um, individually. Yeah, there was no, but there was no like, like, hey, here's this, all these vets. Like it was just kind of sprawled and you would see these big charter buses, you know, dropping people off. And um, so they made the choice to do the march anyways, even though that had been announced by the feds. Um, so we started gearing up for the march. Um, you know, the, the whole time it was supposed to be a peaceful, you know, this is, we're following the Standing Rock Sioux's, you know, peaceful, you know, protest. Um, you know, so it was, it was pretty, you know, so we're gearing up and we have our vests and our tear gas mat, you know, and getting all our medical supplies. And, and then, you know, 
it, we head up to the front line. Uh, we took a land cruiser up there, and we had a pickup truck also to like be able to transport people out of there if anybody was injured. Um, we get up to the front line, and, and it's starting to storm now. Like it's picking up, the wind's picking up. There's a group of maybe uh, I don't know, fifty or hundred people kind of marching back toward camp. So we're kind of confused. Um, and then we get up by the front line and there's a rope across and this guy, Hugh, yells over to us and he's he's kind of the head. He's a native from Alaska. He's like the head guy holding line. He's like, medics, get over here. We got to debrief. So we go over to him and he just tells us the plan at that time that the plan at that time was, okay, we're going to do the march with the vets up to the bridge, up to the front line. And then after that, the elders have approved for some of the some native vets to back some trucks in and they were going to try to hook chains up and pull the barriers you know and then after that is you know you need to be you got to be able to take live fire and you guys got to figure out how who's going to go in and drag and where you're going so we're kind of all looking at each other like kind of knowing that that was a possibility the whole time because they had been shooting rubber bullets and, yeah you know so, so re re-illustrate to me what the barrier looks like and what the goal was yeah there. so this so this is like you know, just a, a two-lane highway, basically. That's m- mainly snowed over now. And that meeting point, there was just a rope across the road. Um, you have a few people at the front of the line, and uh, on the other side of the line was Hugh and a couple a couple people. This media starting to show up. Along that whole road now, for the first time, was maybe 20, 30 media vans with satellites. You know, they had finally come in. You know, people around camp are like, you know, this wasn't here before, you know, so the vets really were bringing in kind of mainstream media. And the day before, there was a congresswoman, Tulsi, from Hawaii that had been there. So that was really um, bringing in the media. So, um, and, and yeah, so anyways, we're at the, we're at that rope. And then yeah. ahead of that, another, you know, 200 yards is the bridge. So it's just a bridge. And on that bridge are, there's many just kind of concrete barriers, um, you know, blocking that whole bridge. Um, um, and then on the other side of that is, you know, just continues up on the road. Um, yeah. There were no military vehicles at that point there okay. or through that whole um, march with the vets. So there was at, at the end of it, they brought a plow truck in, you could see, and kind of getting ready to plow out and open it up so where is the the opposition the private military and yeah so people, people from the pipeline are op- on, the, on the other side of the bridge exactly it kind of lifts there's a hill there and i never saw where they base out of like if they have tents set up over there or whatever but they're up over that ridge um the visibility was starting to get bad because the storm it was stormy um and I had another episode up there I'll share that happened toward the end of the trip that that they actually did come down and um, you could see all their vehicles and stuff. So then at that point, you know, we we start talking within ourselves like, who's okay? You willing to go to the front line? Are you really, you know, just trying to come up with a plan of like who's going to go in, potentially drag people out if something happens. We're going to have a mid meeting point, you know, to then get these people out of here to the vehicle. Um, and 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 then people start coming in the vets start marching in um you have you know you have instigators you have verbal people you know that are in people's face you know and so in the opposition's face or mm, just kind of fight like no just like in the group yeah right you know like 
um, people who are fired up. Yeah, people are fired up. Um, you know, I I truly believe that there are people implanted into the group to try to really cause you know uh, cause violence and potential reaction from the police and and make it explode and show that it's not a peaceful movement and stuff. So you have you know um, you have all that going on. So the 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 elders and the natives really were the ones that would go to those people and 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 try to calm them or you know figure out what they wanted or what's going on um so that was really neat to see and for us what we ended up doing uh, they requested that we hold the front line so we ended up as the march happened uh we just helped keep people back like the media were all kind of trying to flank up and it's really disrespectful to get in front of the elders the elders were in the front of that line um so we were just trying to help keep people back and we marched up to the bridge um from there, we held the line. So we were the medics um, were on the on the actual bridge, um, you know, elbow to elbow, just holding the front line and looking back toward the crowd. You had a few people on horses and the elders in the front, and then hundreds of veterans. I don't know how many actually showed up for that march. And the weather's gnarly; it's blowing probably thirty miles an hour, steady now, getting colder. Um, so, you know, they, they're doing some ceremonies. There were some natives that did a drumming dance ceremony. There were people coming down the line, you know, giving us blessings with, you know, like smoke. And um, Meanwhile, did you feel like you were getting pushed forward? We weren't getting pushed. No, there was a space kind of in between us, but we were having to come back. And like I said, media was coming to flank. And occasionally people would come up. And, you know, you don't really know who is who, um, especially like there were these two guys, you know, that – looked pretty legit and these kind of white ghost kind of native with eagle feathers you know what i mean like and they walked right through our line at that time we didn't know if they were elders or what and then the woman who was uh running uh, you kind of running our line the native woman was like you need to keep an eye on those guys like you know so just those communications were going on and trying to just listen to what they wanted us to do, which is which is different. Usually you don't have medics holding a line. Usually we'd be on the side ready to respond if something went down. But it was just improv, and it was what it was. And Yeah, not, not really feeling threatened at all. They were really good at communicating like you, like, you know, like, okay, nothing's over there now. I will let you know if military vehicles start coming over and which ones to worry about and what's going on. So it's it's all it's all pretty peaceful. I mean, people are, you know, wanting to push. We should have done this a while ago. Let's get through, you know. And, um, you know, I think the initial intention, there had been some talk about the vets, you know, going through and getting to the actual drill equipment, you know, and circling around that, you know. So that that I think some people had come with that intention, and it just really wasn't a good idea, especially with the weather coming in. So that whole process went on for about an hour and a half. And then somebody smartly made the choice, like, this is, people are too cold. Like, people were getting really cold, you could tell. And with hypothermia comes becoming goofy and altered, you know. So they made a choice to turn people around. So we start, get march back, everybody march back. Took a little while, but finally the whole group started marching back. And we formed a, we formed a double line, um, you know, elbow to elbow. And just slowly, you know, just creating a barrier for pushing people back. And, you know, some people would come, like this one guy, you know, was like, you're never going to fucking stop this pipeline. And he's yelling, you know, and then an elder would come over and talk to them and try to defuse. And then, you know, there are other people that are, 
you know, wanting, they're there, they're passionate, they're wanting to get in there and, you know, but, um, you know, it really wasn't a good choice. So we were, we managed slowly to get everybody back. There have been some vehicles that had pulled up off the side of the road. We had them all turned back. So we slowly march everybody back to camp with no incident. Um, so that was great. Yeah. And I think that for people who haven't been to protests, that kind of group mind. And when you get that many people close together in a place, like something happens to people where that energy gets condensed and just to try and hold it peacefully. Right can be a job in itself for sure yeah i mean anything you know it's even with the weather alone yeah and and trying to stay warm you know you have, probably have so much focus on that so anything could could just throw someone off you know i think like that and and they they did a great job as far as i'm concerned and i never felt threatened or you know i was willing to do what needed to be done we all were we were there for that but um you know, the communication was important at that point to be like, you know, okay, we're still yeah. safe. Everything's yeah. safe. So um, at that point you, you hadn't, you didn't need to go on any calls. Um, yeah, we were not, we were, yeah, we were not taking, we were just there to support that. There was another group that we only had a certain amount of space on that land cruiser. I literally was riding up on the back of the land cruiser. One, I only space for me was one foot on the hitch ball that I was balanced on and I'm holding on to the top rack, and I actually had a chest uh, GoPro, um, and so I'm trying to get I'm trying to get footage um, as we're going up with that, um, you know, just to be able to document, you know, what was going on. Um, yeah, so we get people back to camp, and then you know it's it gets dark early there, you know, and and it's blizzard now. It's full on blizzard, and it's blizzard before the weather said it was going to be blizzard, so. People are scurrying, and then we start getting these reports of, um, you know, vet buses that have bussed vets in from the casino and from their hotel, you know, that were told to leave their supplies and, and stuff back at the hotel that they would be coming back for them. And for whatever reason, the gas station ran out of gas or the roads were closed, but they weren't coming back for them. And so that was definitely the beginning of, like, this this could be you know, a big time problem. It's not like there's a ton of extra, you know, s shelter out there to really shelter a bunch of people. And what were the vets showing up in? Um, they had been dropped off in, in buses, but, you know, some of them in tennis shoes and sweatshirts, you know what I mean? Like not, not prepared at all. Um, so at that point there was, there's a main medical area and they have a warming tent with maybe five or six beds and a, and a fire going in there. Um, and so we were getting calls from them of like, hey, we got a room full of vets here. You know, and really the vets should have been gone, going and having enough support to not have to, you know, inundate the, the infrastructure that was there already. So, But it was classic miscommunication. Yeah, yeah. People coming no, in, exactly. coming back, yeah. Yeah, so that, so we... We then, uh, you know, so we headed over, um, and somehow um, they had found out, and I don't know who actually who actually physically found it, but there was a mess hall tent, one of those big army tents that was not really being utilized. So they started using that as an overflow. So we started, you know, we got the vets out of the warming area and, you know, started finding people, including civilians that were, that had no shelter. And, and bringing them to that. People that just showed up like in their cars yeah, and, and didn't have 
proper tents. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, not everybody in that tent, I don't know their complete stories, but were vets. Like, there were there was a group of civilians, too, and I don't know if they had also been bussed in or, you know, the road had been closed south of there. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on. So, they, you know, people were people were there, and they weren't able to go anywhere, and the, the traveling was not, you know, appropriate to be driving a car out of there or anything. I mean, so we get this tent up and running and uh, my my friend Albert and this other guy Bruce ended up kind of manning that tent for the night and they you know you have all these vats now without their maybe their psych medications and their chronic pain medications and there's a stressful situation right and there's not a plethora of food you know and not not everybody has a sleeping bag and warmth you know so we're just trying to everybody's kind of working together and there you know i had my group that i was working with i'm sure there were other groups maybe doing similar stuff you know what i mean so yeah so at this point what were you doing so at that point we we're just getting people shelter um you know trying to trying to disimpact the 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 main medical area so that they could continue to see people you know because you have someone come in hypothermic and they we would they would get treated in the medical area until they warmed up enough to then go to the warming tent area and get warmed up enough. Yeah. Ideally, get them good gear and get them back to their camps. How would you treat people with hypothermia? Um, so pe- people, well, it's me. It's it's usually warming. Um, I ended up bringing one guy, um, native guy, who we someone brought in and was almost basically on. He was in a, able to walk and um, in and out of consciousness that we carried into the med tent. And he was a younger guy. And so they warmed him for a while there. And we brought him to the warming tent. But he's, he was still pretty altered and weak. Um, so he ended up being somebody that I took to the emergency room the next you know, the yeah. next day. If you've never seen someone who's hypothermic, they get very goofy. Yeah, really fast. Yeah. You know, they can, you know, just... They look, they look like they're on some kind of drug. Or yeah, like just, just, yeah, just wandering and not, you know, just, yeah. like you said, goofy and not making, you know a whole lot of sense reasonable choices yeah. you know so um you know and so we got that tent set up it's similar to, to dehydration exactly kind of like yeah, if yeah. you see someone who's who's chronically dehydrated right and it's that kind of like wandering right but it can happen in those circumstances it can happen fast i mean people can get you know both, within dehi- a, within both dehydration and hypothermia it's like they're you see someone who's okay one minute right. and then yeah. the next minute you're like oh boy yeah this is not yeah not good and they, in you know, some of the people, you know, they, when you're trying to reason with them and saying, you know, one woman I had found, you know, just wandering. She had been at camp for two days. This was later that night, but she had been at camp for two days, and she had gone to the Portage on on her own, and then got disoriented. You know, the winds blowing horizontally, snows blowing, and so she's just wandering out there and getting cold and confused. So I scooped her up. You know, and and tried to find out where her camp was, and you know, the only thing I could get out of her was, you know, I'm in a white teepee somewhere. You know, well, this is a huge camp with hundreds of teepees, so I'm like, okie dokie. So I ended up bringing her back to the main med area, and you know, just with the people that had been at camp for a while, just trying to like talk to her, and we finally got out of her that she, you know, walked to the Porta John with the wind at her back, you know, and then. But she was adamant. She's like, I need to get back to my camp now. Like my husband's probably out looking for me. And we're like, you're not leaving here. Like you cannot leave here on your own. You have no idea where your where your teepee is. 
we're just you're gonna sleep here you know and we can yeah. orange in the morning anyways she was and adamant and what's the temperature at this point temperature at this point with the wind chills probably pushing 10 20 below and um so i gave her a chance i said okay i'm gonna take you and drive you ahead of suburban and i'm gonna drive you around and see if you notice anything and for some reason she noticed a few things and i was able to get her back to her teepee um one of her friends came out this guy and then you know hugging each other crying and her husband had was out now looking for her on his own which is not a smart idea um and luckily he came back to camp so we got them all back you know settled in which was good but i you know i was just telling people do not go out alone like if you need to go to the bathroom you need to do anything like you need to be double dot people didn't even have that sense to know that um yeah so that night i just ended up patrolling camp like we had radio communication uh, my buddy josh and matt were in another in their land cruiser and i didn't really know camp well but just patrolling and uh, we get called out for a burn over here we get called out some lady drank bleach and i you know her car was stuck and her hand was burned and you know i took us a while to find her because i didn't never got an orientation to camp right so because there are fire are there fires still going at this point uh not outside well the sacred fire is going but there are you know fires going within structures yeah so uh we got another call there was a uh big huge tent and i'm talking like you know 40 by 40 foot tent that the roof had kind of blown off that and the these little fire had started and these guys were up on trying to put the roof back on and gotten really cold from that. So we went over to that situation. Um, at this point I was with, a, uh, one of the head medics of the camp. His name's Colin Dunn. And, um, yeah, so just kind of, you know, making sure things are safe and it, it slowed down a little bit. I would check back in on Albert and Bruce in the 10 and I would be back at the vet med 10 and things were going, things were going pretty well. Um, and then maybe about, you know, I noticed fewer people between like one and and two or so. But then I noticed like oh, people are starting to wander, and that's when I found that girl and would, was finding other people. Just maybe it was time to go pee in the middle of the night, or I don't know, two, three a.m. Yeah, and um, and and by that time, tents were shredding. Like there were North Face tents and small tents just shredded, shredded from the winds, right? So we're you know we're on our own thinking like this is not going to be a good situation in the morning. Um, so we about, I think it was about three o'clock. We get a call that one of the vet tents, which was the main check-in tent had blown over. And, and, um, so we, we head over there. Um, they're already well into trying to evacuate people out of there, but it's are, chaos. Are you getting a uh, walkie talkie? Yeah. So we had a walkie talkie. I never had the, the main, the main med tent has a specific walkie talkie that, and then the, the vets had a another walkie-talkie set. So I'm on that, I'm communicating with Josh, who also had a radio from the main med. So he would get something on the main call and call me on this other walkie-talkie. And, you know, so we would try to communicate. And it's not all great, right? Um, but so we head over there, and the stakes had popped up on this huge, you know, this is one of those big army tents, canvas tents. The stakes on the windward side had popped up, and the wall was kind of blowing in. And just shaking and inside is you know these pretty large kind of umbrella metal posts that are just starting to toss and people are holding onto those and you know a lot of yelling going on 
and we're just trying to get people out of there and the stove pipes had disconnected so sleeping bags started smoldering and the smoke from the inside of the fireplaces are just openly blowing into the tent um and so we're just trying to there's probably 40 40 plus people in there so we're just trying to get them evacuated out of there and then they here they go without their supplies necessarily out into the 20 below weather not knowing where to go so you know where i'm doing i'm helping make runs over to the other tent which was already full with people where we stayed the first night and then grabbing fire extinguishers and just putting out you know the, the trying to put the fires out in the of the sleeping bags and trying to put the fires out within the stove and you know there's just a lot of yelling going on and and the structure of the vets at that point like people you know, some of us don't feel like the directions that they were giving the people that were supposed to be in charge were in the best interest of the safety of the group. And this had become, you know, keeping people alive kind of deal. So what's an example of that? An example of that was, um, you know, even even back to that first morning when we lost the heat at the vet tent, like Roger, um, some of the choices he was making were just not. Uh, in the best interest of the group that we had access to these like little ceramic heaters, you know, that you screw the gas tanks in and those are great. They're super safe. If you even bump them, they shut off, you know, and he adamantly refused to let us bring those into the tent, you know, from a safety standpoint, um, you know, so just things like that. And we ended up bringing them into the tent, you know, cause we knew the, how safe they were. Um, you know this at the when the when the tent was blowing over you know the guy who was supposed to be in charge of that tent is like lying on his cot crying you know not standing up and helping out it was more of a hindrance and then uh once we got everybody evac'd out there of that tent and the fire you know he's fighting with my friend josh who's the head medic about you know we're gonna we're setting this tent back up now and meanwhile the winds are blowing 50 miles an hour it's just not safe like it was we just needed to let that tent go for now get everybody away from it you know so there was like yelling going on back and forth you know about that and just not smart choices at three in the morning when it's 20 below to you know be trying to restake a tent so where are all the vets now now that they're out yeah so mainly we got them all into that other tent where roger was manning and where i had slept the first night so there are already 40 people in there now there's 40 plus more people in that tent so at that point, I grabbed my sleeping bag in the area that I was occupying and with all the chaos and and knowing that somebody else needed a place to sleep, I removed my stuff because I was in the vehicle. I was in the Suburban. I was committed to getting through that night and making sure people were safe, you know. So I removed that stuff and uh, and got everybody into that other tent so that that was you know got that secured um at that point then we went back to the main medical area oh even even uh, for another instance with roger like um you know we sprayed out all the fire extinguishers well the other the other tent now we had maybe left them with only one and you know not a smart idea in case there's fires that going on in there i had known about in the main medical area they have a big storage dome there were four you know extinguishers over there that I know about so I punched over there really quick grabbed those brought them back and dispersed them throughout the vet tents but even presenting that to Roger like I was like here Roger here's some more you know here's some more extinguishers and at this point he's so kind of out of it he's just looks at him he's like I don't I don't trust these things where'd you get these 
you know, just, you know, I'm just like, whoa, like this is far out. You know, there's yeah psychological stuff going was, on was, here. Then. Was he a vet, uh, vet? Yeah, he was a vet. He was the guy that was in charge of that tent. And, you know, bless his, bless his soul, but he had spiked a fever. You know, there was, you know, he had, he just was not managing in yeah. my perspective. Yeah. You know, uh, but, be yeah. And I think it's, it seems like it's a double edged sword, like working with, if you have a bunch of vets who are coming in for a protest and maybe not expecting that it's going to turn into something similar to a war zone right. overnight. And I'm sure a huge amount of people have never been in 20 below weather. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's... I've never been in 20 below weather. Right. I, like I go to Tahoe and I'm like, Oh boy, this is cold. Right. Like... Yeah. No, it's, it's deadly. I mean, you're within 30 minutes heavily into, you know, being exposed, you know, potential frostbite any bare skin and, you know, hypothermia. So, yeah. Um, but we got that situation, you know, settled in and obviously, yeah, nobody's, you know, nobody has slapped and no, you know, so you have just so many factors on top of one another. That's just, you know, that's just intense. So we get back to the main med area. And at that point from the destruction that we had seen around camp with the tent shredding and I'm driving around and seeing individual bivvies that people are, supposedly in like fully buried in the snow now you know and so we we sit down and just start having a discussion about the potential of what we're going to wake up to or what people are going to wake up into the morning which potentially could have included a bunch of frozen dead people so we plan a whole uh, we wake up the head kind of woman uh, uh, Vanessa and Joe at the main med area and start planning out a whole kind of grid search of the camp and how we're going to mark the different tents and, and vehicles if somebody's in them alive, if they need help, if they're dead. or How are you going to mark them? Um, the marking process, yeah, so that was tricky. So we're like, okay, we're going to use duct tape um, because the winds were blowing. And so I, th- I believe it was a, an X for if they're safe a straight line and this might not be exact but a straight line if they were uh dead and a and i think a, a, a like an o shape if nobody was in the tent um but you know that you know you can't you can't put stuff on a teepee right it's it's just it's not not okay to do that um you know so there was just many aspects of that and then it's cold so the duct tape wasn't sticking right and you know, and then so somebody recommended, I guess there was some spray paint, but, you know, what are you going to go spray paint? You can't spray paint someone's teepee. You're going to spray paint someone's vehicle. You know, there, anyways, there was all, but we managed to, um, you know, with some vets also included that were prepared, um, managed to get a, a search going and kind of sweep the area yeah they did like yeah i guess you know next it's a real grid search um you know i don't think they had the they don't think they populated the amount of people that they had hoped for because people were in survival mode but out of that you know nobody no signs of death or anything so that was that was good because at that point at four in the morning we're having that meeting you know was was when people are like you know people that have done humanitarian stuff around the world even in stressful situations were like well this is one of the more intense situations i've been in were there you know? were there a lot of people who have done uh those kinds of emergency humanitarian uh, yeah definitely situations? yeah yeah for sure like um you know not me not knowing it at the time but now you know 
with the bonds that I've formed and talking to those people, yeah, there are a lot of people that are doing different stuff. And, yeah, it's not exactly a situation where, hey, who are you? Where are yeah, you, where no, are you yeah, from? Exactly. It's like after the whole situation is over, then you're like, maybe learn a little bit for about sure. the person. For sure. And we, you know, but we, we all knew we bonded and bonded super tight and worked well together. You know, we had found the you know the people that we wanted you know because you wanted to be having people working with people that had your back and we managed to find that um and i was really grateful for the the people that were at the main medical tent this woman this anesthesiologist sonia and this nurse elizabeth and atticus and colin like they just i kind of started to shift toward their camp at that point because the vet thing was just so disorganized and not that there was no abandonment of that like we still cared for that but i realized like these guys are here they know the area they're 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 people yeah, you can be more, you can be, yeah you can be more effective in that group. exactly right um so what happened on the sweep what did you find so on the sweep i actually stayed back being medical um you know to be the receiving of anything that they found um yeah so just you know, uh, not nothing dad, but just many, you know, many shredded tents, you know, they, they did the best that they could yeah. with what they had. Um, you know, I still pray that there's nobody frozen, you know, buried under some tent there, but no one on your sweep. Um, no, they, you know, they, we started then getting, you know, cold people and people in need of gear. And, you know, you have a lot of chronically ill people up there also, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's a certain, uh, you know, you want to, f- you got to follow the elders, you know, at camp and respect, you know, what, what their, uh, ways are and stuff. So as far as Western medicine, like there's not a lot of medications that they approve necessarily to be given up there. So you have these chronic people. One of the guys we took care of, he, you know, he's a homeless guy in Minnesota who sleeps in a tent anyways, all winter, you know, he's there, yes, as support, but he's also, you know, he's there, he's getting fed, he's getting medical care, you know, he's passionate about it, but he's, you know, he's a burden also on that system. So you have to treat these chronically ill people at the same time, a lot of respiratory, a lot of COPD stuff. Um, What's COPD? um, Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you know, you know, so a lot of people getting breathing treatments, and then you have this cold weather and the wind and the stress. And um, so the camp that morning as people awoke, cold you know yeah so you're still coming. on the clock now treating people who are coming yeah in still on sick. the clock um i had i had I, th- I think i took maybe a half an hour an hour nap or something just in the vehicle i'm in the vehicle um and you know so then we realized you know like the elders had announced like anybody you know we need people out of the camp like it is the storm is not going away you know realizing potentially what the liability was of right. having people you know potentially dying or whatever um yeah. so we just meanwhile um, people don't want to leave because they don't want to feel like they're abandoning so ex- there's just a ton of different mix and match yeah there's a ton messages. of mix and match and and you have like i said the the politics of the elders and that's their camp and and then you have all these new people including me who don't necessarily know all the ways or the politics of the camp and all this influx of people and all these vets and all this you know, so psychologically, it's just a it's just a wild ride. Um, but they start organizing, you know, anybody with four wheel drive vehicles or whatever to, you know, start shuttling elders and children and people that were ill prepared out to um, the casino, which is the nar- the nearest um, place 
of a bigger facility. And also there was a community center at Cannonball up the road. So just that day is spent just getting people out of camp. Um, meanwhile, the medical tent, you know, filled up with some sick people. Well, it's not a lot of space. So um, the closest emergency room had closed down the road. So I was like, let's go throw them in the back of the Suburban and we'll head up to Bismarck. So my friend Albert and I loaded the back of the Suburban up with some sick people, made our drive up at that point, you know, two hour drive plus just due to whiteout conditions. And, you know, you get these drifts. There's no trees up there. It's just planes. So you get, you know, three, four foot drifts or just plowing through the snow and ice and there's cars off the road like everywhere. You're like, all right, Suburban. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I was stoked. <laughs> you know, I felt a little guilty when I first arrived, like getting a gas guzzling Suburban and then we like went to Walmart to shop for some supplies and I'm like, oh, here I am, like coming to an oil protest, you know, like driving an oil guzzling Suburban and shopping at Walmart, but... Sorry, the, the Honda Civic isn't going to cut it. Exactly, like it ended up being super burly and super helpful. you like, I and, finally get to use the four-wheel drive yeah, on this baby. Yeah, so that was, um, you know, so we got those people up to the emergency room. Um, and, you know, even even the emergency rooms in Bismarck, like they're, they're like, you need to go to this emergency room. I think it's... St. Alexius or the name of it because other smaller ERs are not supportive of you know bringing in protesters from the camp and have been known to not treat them well you know so that's going on up there so we drop these guys off and then we go resupply uh, you know I'm like there's still a ton of warm gear needed at camp so we go get more propane and gloves and hats and um, and meanwhile you know I had only eaten some dried buffalo from Patagonia and a couple of their, you know, fruit bars that whole time. So um, that that's when I got inspired to go. We went to Five Guys and bought like over $300 worth of cheeseburgers <laughs> and brought those back to camp also, which, you know, that kind of stuff is just rad. I mean, people, I can't even tell you the joy, you know, when someone's walking by in 20 below and they're like, hey, you want a cheeseburger? They're like, what? Um, Best so the, cheeseburger oh, in your God. life. Yeah, so that was, that was super super fun to just come back and yeah. you know just keep the spirits yeah. up you know yeah, people the, working hard the mixed nuts aren't exactly morale boosters yeah as exactly much as the cheeseburgers yeah, for sure so that was that was great and 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 getting back that that afternoon like they had done a great job it kind of felt like evacuating people out of there so not that it not that it seemed um you know fully stable but it seemed a lot more stable than and what it had been the night before and the day before yeah. just with the ill-prepared people. So um, I'm going to shift a little yeah. bit because you're a nurse, so you're around a lot of high-intensity situations consistently, um, and this seemed like one of the most high-intensity situations. What is the mindset that you have on like a night like that night? Is there anything that you're coming back to consistently to not – just break down like some people did yeah i well i was you know for one i came super prepared i mean i grew up in maine i'm used to cold weather i know what it can do um but i also came you know i also knew that i could give and knew that i was holding up and knew that i you know could push through and people necessarily couldn't and were unable to so for me you know i could just override any exhaustion that I have or any, you know, and I, I just, you know, I feel like when you're it's kind of serving 
in that intense of a situation, like there's just another altered space that you can get into that allows you to keep going, you know what I mean? And until, like I said, until the situation stabilizes or I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, absolutely. But yeah, absolutely. Definitely. You know, I could have easily complained about many of, of things that I was feeling or doing or not the time to. Complain. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was just, you know, it was just showing up and working. It was hard work. So this is, I still had a lot of supplies left that I hadn't given and I didn't know that I was going to be back to camp. So I'm just handing stuff out. I had all these battery packs and this and, and, um, one, one neat thing was, uh, my friend is the roaster Devin at Verve and, you know, he gave these five pound bags of coffee and I had handed some out already, but I had one more. So we're in the med tent and I like give the, give this coffee to this native woman that's in there and she's just like cuddled up with it and just all sniffing it. oh god it's amazing i just want to sleep with this tonight and then randomly another medic on the other side of the tent how i hadn't had any interaction with is like is that verve coffee <laughs> and i was just like what did you just say and i guess it was a santa cruz cat that was there and had realized you know just noticed the smell of the coffee of the sample. <laughs> it's that, that, that it's was that was that good yeah it's yeah that good yeah, verve's a local <laughs> coffee shop down the street yeah so that was kind of fun and um and then, yeah, we're getting ready to leave, and I got pulled aside. There was a there was a girl who was um, just an example of different people that are up there. She was supposedly from her story involved with the with all the um, people who had just burned up in that fire up in Oakland in the rave, and those were all her friends. And she had been up at Burning Rock, uh, I mean, up at Standing Rock um, with these kind of young kids and got into you know not the best situation up there and then this happens back at home and then the media are inundating her you know on her social media so this was you know so what, so also was the media uh in your similar in your same area like yeah. when, when all of this was going down was there a lot of media in that area or did they have their separate zone they had a zone like up above on the road in toward the bridge so up above where we stayed in the med tent the first night and so there were designated places for media. To yeah, be. but they but they were, you know, they were they were there throughout, but they definitely dispersed that day with the weather. And I think they went back, you know, we didn't realize it at the time, but there was a, forgive, a forgiveness ceremony that happened back at the casino with Wesley Clark Jr. and um, with the natives and, you know, which was which was also, um, you know, not necessarily supported by a lot of the vets themselves, but he did a ceremony. Then you, you might, you, that's some of the stuff you'll see in the media. You won't see any of the, what went on at camp, you know, which is not uncommon, but it was more of, you know, they were back now at the casino. Um, anyway, so just, just, you know, the conversation, hearing this girl's story, you know, it was pretty intimate. So it wasn't, you know, I had all these guys like ready to drive to Bismarck and get out of there, but it was not a situation where I could just leave. And, um, that went on for about 45 minutes or, or whatever. And we ended up getting, I had an extra sleeping bag in the car. You know, that was, that was a neat thing. People would be like, I need a size 11 and a half pair of boots. And I'm like, Oh, I got them. You know, I just had like supply car and I just pull them out of there. And, um, and so anyways, we get, we get out and, um, finally get ready to leave camp. And, uh, it's about midnight exhausted and we're all just dream. Oh, we're going to get a, a hotel suite with a hot tub and just chill. I had, I had picked up a little, little, little mini bottle of whiskey as, as quote unquote medicine at that point, just, to, uh, and so we head out 
and uh drives maybe an hour and a half they had a trailer and we get into we're getting toward bismarck you know two in the morning or whatever and i'm i'm pretty good at finding hotels and stuff and i'm just kind of searching and nothing 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 and so i'm like albert you know help me search for a hotel and then we called the other vehicle like we can't find anything so we pull over and i'm just exhausted at this point you know because here we are leaving camp and i'm not having to kind of hold hold that edge of really and i'm just like dozing and fading i'm like just gotta get to walmart to the parking lot so i can sleep and uh anyways what it came down to there was not one single hotel room left in bismarck uh, all the homeless shelters were full all the like a lot of hotel lobbies had people sleeping on the floors because the airport had been closed down and roads had been closed down for three days so we found this one days in that put us up they opened up a conference room for us and that we you know we all crashed in which was which great and um you know said our goodbyes there the next day uh, and this is on day five this is on day four yeah because day five i would i flew out on day five okay so it was really four days this is on day four um you know i gave the woman it's three in the morning a bunch of scrubby guys show up there i gave the woman at the front desk like 20 bucks and oh can you just please open the the hot tub up for us so we're like 3.30 in the morning, I pour off a couple shots of whiskey for us all. We're, like, sitting in the hot tub just, like, in heaven. I hadn't taken my boots off in three days, so I had, like, what's called jungle rot on my foot, just they, where your foot literally starts kind of rotting. Um, you know, so we were disgusting. Um, you know, that conference room just reeked. Um, but anyways, we were in heaven. At that point, the most important supply was air fresheners. Yeah, exactly, air fresheners and – uh and, you know, it was just a classic contrast from our dreaming of a suite with, you know, hot tub and, you know, pampering ourselves to like sleeping on the floor of a conference room. But it felt like a suite at that point. So I'm going to stop you real quick. Did, yeah. Was the one uh, protest that you went to, was that the one uh, you went to one? Yeah. And, so the, and the rest of it, you were on call doing medical. Exactly. On camp. Yeah. So that was uh, when we were there, the only the one that happened on the front line right because you said that there were other ones where there was confrontation with that the was opposition a, exactly that was our that was on our return back so that that day um you know the there's a crew that's going to be driving out to california and someone flying back so they they all uh, one of the uh, afghani vets had given us these kind of dog tags um all together because we had formed such a bond and um actually they went out and got tattoos with that um on their on their arms and stuff but so they they went and and they were going to leave and brought uh, josh to the airport albert and i were still there for another day there was no way i was going to hang on in bismarck there was still work to be done so we went and started resupplying bought a bunch of propane bought more and this time we came down with uh this time we came down with uh 20 large pizzas um which also was accepted and and celebrated on that arrival um yeah so we headed back down to camp um also had a friend, uh, Avi, who's a Stanford ER doc, and, and his friend Nancy were coming into camp um, for, um, for the next five days. And with the disorganization that I had experienced, I wanted to kind of convoy him down there and, and meet the people that I knew were the backbone and holding up, you know. So we met him at the airport, convoyed down. Um, we get to camp. We're handing out more supplies. Um, he's, you know, doing introductions and meeting and that at that point is you know he had come with a bunch of medicine um and you know they're like okay let's what do you have for medicine and that point you know is when you realize like oh my goodness there's so much wasted 
supplies because they're like, well, we don't use those here. We don't use that here. And then those need to go in the storage room. In the storage room is hundreds of thousands of dollars of frozen medication that people have given in good faith and, and all that, but it's not used there. So um, that's when I realized, like, oh, man, like what's coming into this camp, ideally, you know, if it can be uh, given in a way where you know it's going to be useful, you know, so – I communicated that back on my Facebook to any people that I had been in communication with, like, just make sure to pass the word. Do not give anything here unless you have a good direct contact because it's sad to see stuff just stockpiled and wasted and not what's needed on the daily basis. But at that point is when we got a call. We need medics up to the front line now. You know, so I had the Suburban. So they all of a sudden people, we started loading up the Suburban with blankets and milk of magnesium, which is, you know, mixed with water. And that's what's used to kind of um, neutralize the tear gas. And they were putting, you know, big plastic shields in the car. And we load up and I'm like, Avi, get in. He's, he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. We'll see when we get up there. And uh, so we drive up around to the front line. And luckily, whatever was going on and there's little movements that happened had been you know, was not happening. But at that point is when right on the other side of the bridge, you see all the military vehicles and you see they have these like LRAVs, they call them, which are like crowd control. And they send out this really high frequency that literally uh, shakes your internal organs. And so people end up vomiting and having diarrhea, you know, just from the, these frequencies of sound. So it's, it's like this crowd control thing that they use. So you can see those on the other side. They weren't on. But um, they were ready. Um, so luckily nothing happened there. But that was definitely intense to be up there and see what is opposing on that other side. Because yeah. it's definitely military style, you know, equipment. Yeah. And, sure. and I mean, a lot of the first videos that came out that went viral on Facebook and YouTube were the ones with with military having dogs chase people down, using tear, go- tear gas, rubber bullets, that kind of thing. So there's a a good probability that you're going to be walking into that kind of stuff when you're going in there. For sure. Yeah. Especially if it's, you know, if there's an active, you know, people at this point really want those barriers down. Um, You know, after we left, Avi treated a young guy who crashed his car, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour into those barriers, you know, maybe with the intention of thinking they would move, who knows, but, you know, so there you are out in the middle of nowhere with, you know, a traumatic injury, you know, that you have to care for and get to the nearest emergency department. Yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff going on Holy going shit. on up there. And and my understanding is is that they they're willing to maybe move the barriers, but due to previous protests and I guess huge fires, I guess they lit I don't know if it was a vehicle or tires on fire on the bridge, but there needs to be a structural study done now on the bridge to make sure it's safe. You know, but there's also the worry that the protesters are going to interfere. So, you know, there's all this back and forth with, but I think it would be really important just as far as access to get that road opened up and get those barriers out of there. Wow. Who knows when that will happen, though. Who were some of the most useful types of people that you met out there? Um, you know, I, I think definitely the people that, um, you know, like I said, were willing to, you know, step up kind of get outside your own personal discomforts and, you know, take care of the group as a whole, you know, and realize the potential of 
you know, what the situation could be. Showing so, up with more supplies than just for yourself. Yeah, showing up with more supplies, being physically capable. I mean, for instance, there was one guy at the end when we're getting ready to leave who's, you know, shows up in a sling, you know, recent shoulder surgery and is, you know, like comes up to my friend Albert and I just drove 1800 miles from Rhode Island. I'm here to help. Like, where do you need me? And I overhear this conversation and I, you know, bluntly, but as gently as possible, tell him that the best place for him to, to be is to go away from camp and to support from afar, you know, which seems kind of brutal. But at that point, here you are in a sling, you can't shovel, you can't set up a tent, you can't carry wood, like you needed able-bodied people at at least at that point in time to really keep this place going, you know, and, and yes, you get good-hearted activists, but unless you could live in 20 below weather and camp in 20 below weather and do all that, then there was really, you were more, you know, of a hindrance there than, than you were good. Luckily, somebody hooked him up with, you know, running shuttles to the casino, which made him, you know, feel wanted. You know, yeah. I felt bad for him, but it's, it came to that point, yeah. you know. Yeah, and that there are those positions for people exactly. like that, but they need to know. Right. You need to be uh, doing what it is that you're good at. Right, exactly. And, what I, you know, what, I, what I'm hearing from feedback is that, you know, people people want to give. It was obvious, you know, I did that GoFundMe and within a week, you know, five days had over $10,000. Like people, you know, trust, trust me, you know, in that situation, they want a contact in there. And it's been really difficult for people to find a good trustworthy contact to get money or to get supplies. Um, you know, so that's, I also tried to make those contacts when I was yeah. there and have made a couple trustworthy contacts where we're getting, you know, supplies in there. Yeah. The, sta uh, the Standing Rock movement uh, definitely broke through a glass ceiling that a lot of movements run up against in terms of uh, awareness, global awareness, uh, size of protests around the world. Like something happened there. And I, I, I'm guessing it had something to do with the political climate right around this time that got more people to show up. And I would bet that there are going to be more Standing Rocks coming down the line in the next couple of years. What would you say in terms of lessons learned of things that were really useful for people to bring? Um, and obviously not all of these things are going to happen in 20 below. Right, right. But um, what are a few things that that you would, would pass on from I mean, for me lessons per learned? For me personally, like, you know, like I said, being being self-sufficient, being it, there's nobody there saying, hey, Kyle, welcome, you know, like, come, you know, being able to take care of yourself and being able to take care of others, you know, come, you know, yes, with a big, with a big heart, but, you know, a lot of these, you know, I haven't been involved, but this definitely was not a place for like dancing around and peace, love and happiness. Like this was a place to come work, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, come with that ability. Um, and, you know, I also, for me personally, like to go somewhere and not bringing my standards and, and ideas. I mean, obviously you have your own judgment and you are yourself, but like trying to educate yourself as best as you can to what, what's going on there and who's hosting it and what are the politics of it and respecting as well as you know what that is you know, rather than coming in and, and being like, okay, this, my way is the way that this is, you know, yeah. so just nothing that, bad uh, ever came from that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that open mindedness, I think is, 
is huge. Um, and communications, like, I mean, the ability to, you know, and that was a downfall for me in that camp was just the communications were just not solid and coming from different sources and who says, the, you know, so, and misinformation, I think intentionally there's a lot of misinformation when you're in those protests that's instilled into the general, you know, rumors start going around and, you know, that gets people's minds spinning and, and being able to decipher, like, is this source of information accurate? Did you have service out there on your cell phone? Yeah, I did. It was intermittent. Um, I, I wonder what, what uh, it would take to have an app developer or something like that, like create an app for people for a, like one simple and centralized source of information. It seems like in the like today's day and age with technology, that would be something that was doable with there being such a, an issue with communication there. Yeah, I think it definitely would be doable. Um, I've Facebook you know, is obviously helpful. Facebook's been helpful. I this this Sue woman that I'm in touch with, you know, I I've you know who's teaching me a lot about the history. I've asked her specifically, like, you know, who do you trust with information coming out of that camp? And she's given me you know three or four sources, and I'm happy to share also, you know, that seem to be people that have been in that camp and are leaders of that camp from the beginning. So that's been helpful for me to just go to those sources as resources versus, you know, hearing this and that. And how have you been feeling now that you've been home back to uh, being a nurse in Santa Cruz with your kids and yeah, it's, get, getting back to, uh, I'm sure it's a bit of a, a culture shock. Yeah, it's definitely a culture shock. You know, I don't, I'm not traumatized by the intensity of it at all necessarily, but um, there's a few things, you know, it, for me, it's the processing of everything that went on has been a long time. It's taken me a long time to get through some of that stuff. And I've, and the people that were there with me are having that similar experience. So, you know, I came back, obviously wanted to primarily reconnect in my home life and my family, but you know, that's not easy to come in and share this high intensity connections that you've met and what's gone on. So there's not necessarily the space and time for that being received. But, you know, so I really wanted to capture the bonds of the people that I had connected with because we didn't have time to, like I said, learn who each other even was. But we know that we want to potentially work together. And there's there's already a future of that, you know, um, and conversations happening around that. Um, and then I wanted to get this information just out of my mind, you know, into some sort of voice, um, form. And, you know, I also feel an obligation, you know, all these people that donated for the GoFundMe to keep them up to date on stuff. And at the same time, account for any money that I've spent in that transparency, you know, which buying stuff at Patagonia or on Amazon or here or there, you know, like, so I'm trying to get all that, you know, in line so it's it definitely it's been a lot for sure but nothing that's not you know handleable moving or, forward it, um would you go out to another movement that you felt called to go to yeah potentially um one of the head medics that i met is actually the head street medic for the trump inauguration in dc so i've been invited to go out there from the 20th to the 22nd um you know that's gonna be as we all know you have that, um, you know, people opposing it, people supporting it, and then the Women's March the next day. So that's going to be a really historic, if 
for good or bad experience. So um, potentially I might be going out to that. And um, yeah, there's other, you know, there's other, other um, groups that some of these people that I connected with are, you know, in process of organizing, but it's, it's the holidays and we're, you know, everybody's just kind of yeah. chill for there. And so ha- has there been any um, movement forward since Obama made the call that there's at least going to be um, a, a study done before any m- movement with the pipeline happens? So my, my understanding from um, the source up there that I have um, is that, you know, immediately after that, it was obvious that the, that the, you know, they were going to continue with Dapple and continue drilling and they were just going to pay the fines. I mean, if they can connect this pipe underneath, you know, this lake, then I'm sure it's going to be much easier to just get the project through. Um, uh, this is, you know, this is not confirmed, confirmed, but it sounds like the Army Corps of Engineers who you know, are not necessarily liked by the people on the reservation because they've been displaced out of their homes so much and, you know, so many different land dealings with them. But um sounds like there might be somebody in there with a good heart, and their intention is to flood the lake. Um, it's supposedly a two-week process, and which will then make the – it will flood the drilling equipment and make it un, unable for those guys to actually drill, which would actually physically halt – the drilling until this environmental impact study is done. Um, you know, I will believe that when I see it, but they have high hopes and, and they've been communicated and it's a slow process. It's not going to displace anybody out of homes. It might affect that Ochetti camp a little bit, but I'm sure they can move that. So the, the natives are in support of that yeah, happening. Yeah, exactly. You know, because that's potentially the only thing that could physically stop this drilling. You know, of course they can just keep drilling and pay the yeah. fines. Um, um, it's, it's cool to see, I mean, if that is true, it's cool to see groups moving in who aren't, um, seen as just the activists. It's from afar, from my perspective, when the veterans moved in, it seemed like this movement got a whole nother level of definitely. engagement and support, um, from, from different types of people. Definitely. I think that's true. Um, even with all of the disorganization on the ground level that I talk about, um, I still think the movement as a whole um, did bring it to more national attention and um, and also inspired these vets for potential more movements. And that's going on right now also. And like they're empowered, right? And, and I'm sure there are plenty of people that don't want them empowered because even in this circumstance, if indeed they did come into confrontation with those military forces on the other side, you know, those private police, you know, that would have been a first time in history potentially where there was conflict with, you know, veterans in there, some of them in their special uniform, you know, garb with, you know, privatized police and a sheriff's department. So, yeah, that doesn't know, look very good. No, not at all. So. Yeah. I, um, one thing that, that you said that stood out to me was hearing veterans say that they'd fought overseas and this being the first time that they really felt like they were truly standing for something on their own soil, which I can putting myself in that position. I could really feel that. I mean, if you're trained in defense to, to really be defending right soil that, um, that, you know, isn't halfway around the world. Yeah, no, that was, that was really what inspired me to physically get there. was, it was hearing those stories and, and they were, they were, they would have done, you know, that announcement came, which is great, but I feel like they were there, you know, 
in peace, but they would have put their bodies on that front line to relieve the Sioux who have been there since April, you know, and really make that push. Since April. Yeah, this protest has been going on since April, so. Um, And it's, you know, they they talked about the camp being – you know, moved and need and people needing to be out of there on December 5th was actually the first day. The, the Obama announced that on the 4th, on the 5th, but that camp's not going anywhere. I it's mean, still there. It's still there. It's solid. There's hundreds of people there. Um, there's structures being built. All those Porta Johns have then re- since been pulled out and they've put in composting toilets. You know, that's something that they still need more of and in, in, you know, in structures that are warm. You know, they're really. Uh, hunkering down for the for the winter and the in the long haul like and I don't blame them I mean there was a I'm, I'm sure you know but 150 miles from there there was like a pipe that broke last week an oil pipe um, like a week or week and a half ago it was like a six or nine inch pipe that spilled over 175,000 gallons I mean this is a 30 inch pipe going under the main water source for millions of people I mean I think it's worth fighting for <laughs> Thanks for listening, my friends. If you want to get in touch with Andy, he offered his email up, which is hardywater, H-A-R-D-Y, water at gmail.com. If you feel inspired, if you want to get involved, reach out to him. If you like this podcast, please take a minute and give it a rating on iTunes. Share it with a friend. It takes about one minute. It really helps me out. Until next time, happy holidays. Love you guys. Mwah.